Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story that you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know to impact at jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org. Click on the Give link and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, Good Father. In this series, we will dive deep into the Father heart of God. Join us as we remove the fog of religion and many man-made definitions of God. We will get to the core of his true loving character and his desire to have a genuine relationship with each one of us. Pretty awesome video. We do want to welcome and, uh, and uh, really encourage uh, all of you this weekend, especially the fathers here. Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, it's an honor to have you visiting with us this weekend. I hope it's a blessing uh, for you. On the way in, they hand you the notes. If you want to grab those, uh, if you have a pen, you might want to get that out, and there'll be an additional uh, notes that you can take with it. If you're going to use a device for that, that's fine. While you do that, let me welcome all of our campuses, uh, uh, Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, Lone Tree, Castle Rock, our online campus, all of our visitors this weekend. However you're a part of the greater JFC family, we're glad that you are. Uh, you've seen it a couple times. Our series is called Good Father. Your mind uh, may go to the idea of like, are they teaching this because of Father's Day? It actually just worked out coincidentally well, I'll be honest with you. I wish I would say that we were that smart as to look that far ahead in our calendars. But when we plan our series, we plan them six, seven, eight months in advance. Uh, we'll change them if we feel like the Lord gives us some direction. But in this case, it just so happened that we were teaching uh, coming into the end of May and the 1st of June this series, and it coincided really well with Father's Day. I want to say this, though. Uh, even though the message, the series itself is not about Father's Day, the message today uh, will really play on two planes. You, you literally will be able to see a heavenly father in this, and that would be our hope, is that you would catch uh, that, that issue more than anything else. God's love for you, God's heart for you, God's desire uh, for you, that God chooses us. And then it will also play on the realm of the natural level, of how we all, listen to this, while I want to bless fathers, the nature of the message would simply be this, male or female, we can all get God's heart. I'll, I'll, yeah, but let, can I do that one more time? I'll slow down and you hear what I'm saying. Male or female, we can all get God's heart and we can all give God's heart. And so it's a, it's a message that I think, you know, you'll, you'll see it on kind of a couple of different levels and I think you'll get uh, a lot out of it. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll jump into uh, the scripture that we'll be using for the message right there. This is from Genesis 35, 16 through 18. Now, in these three verses, you have a tremendous amount of information. This actually was a, uh, possibly, it could have been a 24-hour event, to be honest with you. The Bible doesn't give us the exact timeline for this, but just based on anyone's experience that's had a child, especially in difficult uh, situations, you realize that that's not some five-minute event. This is actually a long period of time that's taking place. The Bible is a very carefully edited text by the Holy Spirit and gives us the things that we need to see from it. What we can do is go back and extrapolate some things from it. And that's what we'll do with this. Now, uh, one other thing that I would say, I've actually taught on this years and years ago with the idea, the power of a name. The power of a name. Uh, that a name really represents a destiny for a person. And so we need to be very careful with what we say and what we speak, that there's destiny behind those things. The Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. But we're going to take this from a different point of view tonight, uh, and I'll begin with it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these are the patriarchs of our faith, patriarchs. So Abraham came first, had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob then had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. This is the story about the birth of Benjamin and what happened to the woman that Jacob loved. You remember Jacob had two wives, 
If you remember the story, and if you don't, I'll catch you very quickly. Uh, Jacob had an uncle named Laban. When he was running from his brother Esau, he went to his uncle Laban. He was working there, and his uncle Laban said to him, Hey, even though you're a relative of mine, you shouldn't be working for free. Name your price. Jacob said, Why don't you give me your daughter Rachel for my service? And so they agreed that he would work seven years in order to get Rachel as his wife. And this is what the Bible said. He loved her so much, it only seemed like a few days. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Seven years going by like only a few days. Uh, his uncle Laban, though, was kind of a scoundrel guy. And on uh, the eve of the seventh year, uh, Rachel had a sister named Leah, and she was older. And I, here, here's part of the story that I don't understand. The Bible says that sometime uh, as he was getting married... He substituted Leah for Rachel so that once Jacob said his vows and then went in to consummate his marriage, here's what the Bible says. He woke up in the morning and then it says these three words, look, it's Leah. I mean, I'm not sure kind of, you know, I, I know they didn't have electricity. I know that probably maybe the torches were out or whatever, but at some level, I'm like, you don't realize this till the morning. And so in the morning, he goes, look, it's Leah. Not Rachel. So he goes back to Laban, and this is what he says. Uh, you've tricked me. You've fooled me. This is not the one I want. And he goes, well, it's our custom that the oldest one has to get married first. Complete this week with her, and then I'll give you Rachel. And I've heard people say that he actually worked 14 years and then got Rachel. That's not what happened. It was after the first week of his marriage to Leah that he was given Rachel, but he had to work an additional seven years to work off what Laban made him do. So he worked 14 years total in order to get Rachel, but he actually had her at the seven-year mark. The Bible says this, he loved Rachel and not so much Leah. When the Bible describes Leah, it says that Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was very pretty. I'm not sure what that's a metaphor. Like, can you imagine, what do you think of her? Well, her eyesight's not too good. I mean, what are you saying in a situation like that? She needs glasses. Uh, oh, come on. It's in the Bible. I did not make that up. It's in the Bible. So it says that she had weak eyes, and then the next sentence says, but Rachel was very comely or very pretty. So he, he loved Rachel. He didn't uh, evidently treat Leah quite right. And then the Bible says that Leah could have children, but Rachel couldn't. And eventually God opened Rachel's womb. And you can imagine Jacob having worked so hard for this woman. Imagine the love that he felt for her. Imagine not being able to have children, and suddenly you're able to have children. Imagine that you get the first one, it's a boy, and you're so proud, and you're developing this relationship with this person that you loved and that you've worked so hard to be in. The, I mean, imagine how this man loves this woman. This is important before we read the story. Imagine where his heart is at. Imagine how he felt about her. Imagine how she felt about him. Imagine what they're trying to accomplish between the two of them in life. And then we pick up this story that doesn't give us a lot of indication. This is the birth of his second son. So Joseph is fine, but this is the birth of Benjamin. And it just simply says they're in a caravan. They then moved on from Bethel. That's where he lived. And while they were still some difference, distance from Ephrath, this is actually Bethlehem. This is just another word for the title Bethlehem. So while they moved on from Bethel, while they were still some distance from Bethlehem, Rachel began to give birth, and she had great difficulty. You realize in that sentence, much is being said. Much time has gone by. So while they're traveling, she goes into labor, and she begins to have great difficulty. There are no hospitals. There are no ambulances. There are no 
emergency services, there's a midwife. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. Remember, she had Joseph. Now she's having Benjamin. As she breathed her last, again, this is so edited. Imagine this is probably a 24 or a 48 or a, you know, maybe even a 72-hour time period that's going on here. We're editing it down to just enough where we can read it. Remember how much he loves her, how hard he's worked for her, how, how devoted this man is to this woman, how his heart must be breaking right now at the death of his wife, how at first his hope is like, hey, like we all do, everything's going to be okay. She, she's going to pull through. And then as it became obvious and evident that that's not going to happen, at some point he must have realized, someone probably told him, she's not going to make it. We're going to try to save the baby your wife's not going to make it. Can you imagine that place of his heart? Where would your heart be? What would you be thinking? How would you be feeling? Would you even cognitively think like, okay, this needs to happen next, and then we do this? I would say for me, I'd be a basket case. To lose the love of my life, the one that I worked so hard for, the one that means everything to me, to lose her like that, I'm not sure that I would think straight enough to be able to right wrongs, Fix problems, patch up what's broken. That's important because of what he does. So the midwife tells Rachel, don't despair for you have another son. As she breathed her last for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. Now remember where his heart is at. His heart is broken. He's lost the one that he's worked for 14 years to get. They finally, they go through, we don't even know exactly how long, but years and years and years of trying to have children, and they can't have children. And they're finally at the place where she's having the second son and she dies. And in her pain, pain's a funny thing. Pain can make us say things and do things we wouldn't normally do. You agree with that statement right there? In her pain, this mother who carried this child and loves this child, you know how a mom feels about a baby. In her pain, she yells out, call him Benoni. Now, look, we don't speak Hebrew. All you hear is B-E-N-O-N-I. What does it mean? This is where I taught another series. Just very quickly, I don't have time to go back there. Ben only simply is a Hebrew sentence. They would name their children uh, a statement so that when they call the child's name, they don't, they don't just hear uh, the, the syllables coming. They, don't, they, hear a sen- they hear the destiny. Benoni means child of my sorrow. Can you imagine for the rest of his life being called child of sorrow? Uh, yes or no? I, I think all of you can realize, have children, don't have children. Take a little one and start from the youngest age and tell them that they don't belong or that they don't fit or that they don't matter or that their lives don't count. And you'll develop an identity when they get to be an adult, yes or no? Yes. I mean, it's, it's a fact. Let's, let's do the opposite. Take a child when they're little and realize that it's an unwritten opportunity at that point to begin speaking into what's void and telling them you matter, you're important. Your life, your life, God willed you to be here. This family is better because you're here. We love you. We chose you. We want you. We need you. You're going to develop an identity when they're an adult too. Yes or no? Will not be a neutral situation. So she in her pain, not in her, listen, she's not mad. She's hurting. And out of her pain, she yells out, he's the child of my, or the child that cost me my life. That's really what she's identifying him as. Can you imagine the father having the opportunity to go, you're right. This is the woman that I loved. You killed her. That opportunity's there. 
But this father thought very quickly and changed his name to Benjamin. And in one microsecond, changed the destiny of the kid because Benjamin means son of the right hand or son of blessing. So he would have been the son of sorrow, but now he's the son of blessing. And for the rest of his life, every time his name is called, he will not be identified with death. He'll be identified with blessing. Yes or no? So what did the dad do? He acted prophetically. So father has an ability to, to act in a prophetic manner. Prophecy doesn't mean that something comes on you and you... That's not how it works. When, look, listen to this. And this is male or female. Listen, this is what I meant by getting the father's heart. When you have the father's heart from that heart, you can speak the father's heart. That's prophecy. To speak what God's intentions are towards someone or something. That's the power. Did you get it? Yeah. That's, that's the difference. It's to curse or to bless. In the Hebrew, they're so close. The words are almost identical in their nature, but one comes from below and one comes from above. That's the difference. To curse or to bless. Huh. All right, so let me give you from this verse then, or these three verses, let me give you three things that I see that I think maybe you'll see having to do with a father's heart, having to do with, with getting a father's heart or understanding how a father thinks or how our father thinks about us. The first one is just simply this. Uh, the father can see what others can't see, yes or no. No one else changed his name. No one else. The midwife did. I bet you the midwife, how do you want that spelled? Ben-Oni. Got it. She didn't say, don't do that or you can't do that or what are you thinking? Sure, she did exactly what she was told to do. Nobody else stepped into the situation. The father stepped into the situation. Here's the deal of what a father heart can do. It can see beyond the obvious. I am forever grateful for two people in my life who could see beyond the obvious. The first one is my father-in-law. So I'm 16 years old when I met my future wife. But I don't look like I look right now. <laughs> we found a picture the other day. I had hair right to about there, right to about there. And it's, I, I'm, I have Indian in me, and my hair is straight, and it was long, and I'd flip it into a big ponytail. I thought I was something else, man. I thought I was something else. <laughs> and we were, not, um, we were not refined. Maybe that's a good way to say it. And she was a, a church kid, man. That's all she grew up. I mean, the worst thing that God had to do for her was to help her get off M&Ms and Kool-Aid. Uh, it was a, so I mean, we got two different, two different places. That we're, is that okay? You get what I'm, I mean, we're coming from two different places in life. Two, two totally different places. And I, the very first time that I, uh, that I wanted to take her out, I asked her father if it would be okay. He said, yes. Uh, we went out. I came back to her house. And we were sitting on her couch downstairs, and her dad came down and said, Hey, uh, don't you think it's kind of late? John needs to go. And I looked up, and it's like 8.15. <laughs> what are you saying? Like, time to go. I, I give That man stood for what he believed in, and it was just protecting his daughter. So that kid, the obvious was not obvious. The obvious is that that kid had such an identity crisis. That kid had such an insecurity about it. That, that kid was, <laughs> that was, you, it seems like a dream when I try to tell you because I don't identify with who that kid was. I look at pictures and it's hard to even remember 
being that kid. But she was my high school sweetheart. We went through high school. We both graduated. Uh, she went away to college. I stayed here. When she came back after her first year, I just said, look, we're both called. Um, I think we should do this together. I want to marry you, and I'm going to ask your father for permission if you'll marry me. And she said, I'll marry you, but this is kind of crazy. And I said, I know. I went to her dad. I owe him everything. We walked around the block, and he didn't say, you're not good enough. And he didn't say, this wasn't the dream that I had for my kid. This is what he said to me. I see something in you that reminds me of me when I was your age. I bet you'll work hard. I said, I promise you. I promise you. And I meant it when I said it. 32 years later. 32 years later, here we are. I owe him forever because he could see something that wasn't obvious to everybody else. Do you hear me? Let me give you the second one, and maybe it ran in the family. Terry Hilgers. How many of you know Pastor Terry at all the campuses? We all know him. We love he and Brenda. We think the world of them. I owe Terry and Brenda this, that when I approached them and said, listen, I, I feel like God has called me into ministry, and I don't know where to begin. Terry didn't look at me and say, John, all of these things are wrong, and you've got to get them right first before you can do this. This is what Terry said. You want to be in ministry? Come with me. Set these chairs up. <laughs> As I was faithful to do those things, he gave me other projects to serve on. Then he started saying you should probably go to school. And then this is what Terry said to me. John, the real way to find out if you're called to ministry, if you can do this junior high group, you are called <laughs> into ministry. And I was a junior high pastor. <laughs> Terry Hilgers, Brenda Hilgers, I owe you forever for seeing something that was not obvious to everybody else. People now look and think, wow, nice fit. How'd you know so early? I didn't. I didn't even know. But I had people who had a heart, the Father's heart, who believed in me. Look at me. Every one of us need that kind of person in our life at different times, yes or no? Some of us go, well, if I had it, I could give it. Here's what I know. What you didn't get by pedigree, you can get by the power of God. So that we forever remain without excuse. Your heavenly Father chooses you. He chooses you. He looks beyond the obvious. He looks beyond what no one else can see. He doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside and he picks you because of what's in your heart. And guess who put it there? He did. He did. <laughs> Read your story. Sort of a tearjerker one. So if I delay for a second, I will do my best. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, know the name? Yeah. Chuck Swindoll's a um, great Bible teacher, had a great church in California. I think he's a pastor emeritus at a particular university now. Uh, I got this from him. It's not my story, it's his. Teddy Stollard certainly qualified as one of the least interested in school. He was musty, clothing wrinkled, hair was never combed, and whenever his teacher, Miss Thompson, spoke to him, he always seemed to answer in monosyllables. He was unattractive, distant, and just plain hard to like. His teacher said she loved all of her class the same, but deep down inside, she wasn't being completely honest with herself. Whenever she corrected Teddy's paper, she got a certain perverse pleasure 
out of putting big red X's next to the wrong answers. When she put an F on the top of his test paper, she could do it with great flair. She should have known better. She should have known more about Teddy than she did. She needed to find out. She went to investigate. His records read this way. First grade, Teddy shows promise with his work, has a poor home environment. Second grade, Teddy could do better, but his mother is seriously ill. He receives little help from his home. Third grade, Teddy is a good kid, but he's too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy's very slow, well-behaved, but his father shows no interest in him. Christmas came. Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson's class brought her presents. They piled the gifts on her desk and crowded around to watch her open them. Among them was one from Teddy. His gift was wrapped in plain brown paper and held together with scotch tape. On the paper, he had written these simple words for Miss Thompson from Teddy. When she opened his present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a used bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk about Teddy's gift, but Miss Thompson at least had the good sense to silence them by trying on the bracelet and spraying on some of the perfume. Stretching out her hand towards the children, she asked, doesn't it smell lovely? Taking their cue from their teacher, the children agreed with oohs and ahs. At the end of the school day, Teddy lingered behind the others and slowly approached her desk and said, Miss Thompson, my mother's bracelet looks really pretty on you, and you smell just like my mom. The perfume was hers. When I miss her, I smell her perfume and it reminds me of her. I'm glad you like my presence. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson closed her eyes and wept before God and asked him to forgive her. The next day, the children were greeted by a new teacher. Miss Thompson had become a different person. She no longer was just a teacher. She had become an agent of God's love. She was committed to loving her class and doing things for them that would live on after her. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones, especially Teddy. By the end of the school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He had caught up with most of his class, was even ahead of some. She didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. Then one day, years later, she received a graduation announcement. Sorry. With an enclosed note. Dear Ms. Thompson, I want to be the first to let you know I'll be graduating second in my high school class. Thank you for believing in me when no one else did. Love, Teddy. Four years later, dear Ms. Thompson, I will be graduating first in my college class. The work was challenging, but I enjoyed it. Thank you for all that you have done for me. Love, Teddy Stollard. Finally, she received the most exciting graduation announcement of them all. Dear Ms. Thompson, as of today, I'm Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have if she was alive. My father died this past year. You're the only family I have now. It's not about the birthright. It's not about the genetics. It's about the fact that God has overcome all that we lack in this life to give us his heart so that we can give it to others. And if we get that, it changes. I'll say it one more time. This changes everything. The reason to love God is not because you get to go to heaven. It's because you get the relationship that I'm talking about right now. You get his heart and you have everything in it that he wants you to have with that. Mm. Let me give you the second thing that I read from this passage of scripture. The first one simply is that you've got to see what others can't. That's what a father does. Speak what others don't. Here's what I know. Those of you who want the father's heart, and in particular, I will challenge fathers with this. Give your blessing and approval when you're able to. 
I'm going to give you three things about the blessing. This is three things that I read from Scripture, three things that I know to be true, three things I've tried to practice. The first one is it just needs to be heartfelt from your heart. Don't speak things that are high-sounding or things that you don't believe, but speak it from your heart. If you love someone, tell them, I love you. If you bless someone, then tell them, I bless you. If you have a fondness in your heart, don't leave it locked in there. Identify and say it. You don't know how crucial it is because I will tell you the truth. Once they're gone, you can't ever get them to say it to you. Hear me on this issue. It's too late. But if you breathe, it's not. Say it while you can. Just make it from your heart. It doesn't have to be fancy. Make it from your heart. So the first one is simply it's heartfelt. The second one is it's verbal. Here's what most of us do. We think a particular way, but we can't get it out here. And we think because we think it, other people know how we think. Ladies, every one of you who's married should say, yeah, that's exactly... <laughs> and you're like, I don't understand that. You probably got married last week. Uh, you will at some point understand what I just said. Speak... Speak what others don't speak. Let me give you an example. Jesus is our example for everything in life when it came to the relationship that he had with the Heavenly Father before Jesus did any ministry, before he did one miracle, before he ever stood up in the synagogue and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good, before he ever identified what he was going, before he ever fought the devil, before he did anything this is what happened in the life of Jesus. He was baptized, coming up out of the Jordan. The Bible says the heavens were open. The Lord spoke audibly what was in his heart. You're my son, whom I love, and with you I'm pleased. Those three things are what every person in the world needs. You're mine. I love you, and you please me. Did you just hear what I said? So how about this? Immediately after that event, Jesus goes into the desert to fight the enemy. The very thing that the enemy questioned him about was this. The father said, you're my son. The devil said, if you are the son. Doesn't that make sense? But if the enemy comes without us ever hearing that we're approved of, how do we answer the question? Did you just hear what I said? And the enemy will come. And there are many enemies in this world, yes or no? Huh. The blessing came before temptation, before ministry, before any public access. Your approval... Dads in particular, hear me on this issue. Your approval gives permission for a person to move forward whether you know it or not. I'll give you a great example. Peter, on the lake, in the boat with the disciples, storm comes up, Jesus comes walking out on the water. Only one of the disciples got out of the boat. Remember the story? It's Peter. When he looked around, he freaked out. He sank. I always think that's a neat story, but let me tell you this one thing. I want you to remember the sequence of events. Jesus comes out. The disciples are freaked out by it. Peter's the only one who said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to what? You remember? Tell me to what? To come to you. And Jesus gave him a one-word answer. Come on. Come. Peter got out of the boat. Your approval allows a person to move forward. If Jesus wouldn't have answered him or said no, Peter would have never got out of the boat. You agree? Your approval. I think that's a pretty neat little point right there. Your approval lets a person move forward, and they're never too old or too young to begin giving your approval. Give your approval. If it's within your power, give your approval, and they don't have to be biologically yours. If you have authority, speak it. If they're a friend, we all want this, and I don't care how tough a person acts. 
I don't care how much they act like I don't need it. I was that guy. I know what I'm talking about right now. What I didn't have, I acted like wasn't important, and it was a false front. It was really the proof that I didn't have it. Does that make sense? Hmm. Give you the last one from this particular passage of Scripture. The first one is just simply see what others can't. The second one is speak what others don't. The third one is just simply give what others won't give. Let me tell you a neat story about the difference between having a child and choosing a child. You saw a great video. It kind of fit in well with what we were doing this weekend. It actually, the two things weren't planned again. It was happenstance or the Holy Spirit, however you want to phrase that. Um, so I have a biological father. And uh, when I was three and my brother was two, he left our family. And the real way to look at that is that um, he was a, uh, a DNA provider, but not much else of a provider. Make sense? He left. We didn't know him. He had nothing to do with us. There was no connection there. When I was six years old, my mom met a man. His name was John Leach. She married him. He, he was so, he got the father's heart. He adopted us. I remember I was, I think I was seven, right before eight. I remember him sitting me down by myself and asking me, is it okay if I adopt you and give you my name? I wanted to change my name. And I remember telling him, yeah, it's okay. I want you to do that. I remember him telling me, you're not mine by birth, but you're mine because I choose you. I'm picking you. Never forget, I picked you. He told my brother something similar to that right there. Even though we share no DNA with him, he was killed when I was 11 years old 41 years ago. I remember very little about him when it comes to major events, but I've never forgotten he chose me. He picked me. Somebody wanted me. When others didn't, somebody did. And now I'm in my 50s, and I still remember that event. He picked me. It's powerful to have your own children. Those of you who have experienced it, you know there's something forever that what was in you now walks outside of you. But somehow, sometimes that can just get so wrong, and there's such a disconnection. And when that happens, we connect it all this way and this way and... We just end up in such funky places. Here comes our Heavenly Father. Here's what He's done for you. I'm going to close with this scripture right here. This is not for a particular church. It wasn't for a particular person. It was written so that every person who reads it would understand this is how God feels. It's from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For He the Father chose who? He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So before your biological father had anything to do with it. Before your mother ever felt any emotion towards you. Your father knew you, and the Bible says he chose you. He sat down, and when I choose you. And it changes everything. It changes everything. So you hear that story, what goes off in your head? You get the idea that he loves you, that he chooses you, that he favors you, that he wants you, or do you walk through life thinking, ah, 
Wish I had that. Wish somebody felt that way about me. Wish I could experience what he's talking about right now. And he stands here today, same message. I choose you. My father had the good sense to say, I'm choosing you. Is it okay with you? I can't do this unless you want me to do this. And I said yes to him. And that's the principle that's in effect today with God. He sits and he asks us, I choose you. Is it okay with you? I want to change your name. I want to give you a new identity. You know the thing about adoption? It's that once you're adopted, you can't be unadopted. You're in. You're his. And everything he has now is yours. Lord, we love you. Give you the opportunity right now to speak to us, speak to our hearts. God, to include us. And that really is the nature of the message overall. It's in a very... A very inclusive message for every person is that you choose them, God. You love them. You care for them. You want them. Lord, you give the opportunity for us to say, yep, that's what I want too. It doesn't happen simply because a proclamation is given legally. Think about this. Here's what makes an adoption work the relationship between the two people. God has chosen you, has done everything that he can legally to make you his heir, and yet you still have to say whether or not you want that. I would ask you tonight, regardless of which campus you're in, maybe you're even listening to this in a remote location, I would just simply ask you this, do you want that relationship? Do you want what God offers? Do you want the life, the mercy, the love, the name that he offers to you? In specific, this is for a person who's never said, I choose that, I want that, I need that, I get it, light goes on. Wherever you are, we want to take a moment just to facilitate that for you. If you say, Pastor, when you pray, I want you to remember me right now because I choose yes. I choose God. I want what you just said. Given the choice, the answer is yes. If that's you and you say, Pastor John, pray for me, slip your hand up right now. Let's pray for me, John. I need that. Sure. Yep. Yep. Any of our campuses, all of our campuses, and again, even in remote locations, if you choose that, you just tell him yes right now. Simply say yes. Just tell him yes. The second and the final thing that I would just I guess bring before the Lord would just be so often, man, the very thing that gets, that gets picked on by the enemy, that gets challenged in our lives. Remember the father said, you're my son, but the enemy comes to Jesus and said, if you really are the son, begins to question. If that happened to Jesus, then you know that's how the enemy will also 
come to tempt us, to pick at us, to destroy us by causing us to question whether or not God loves us, whether or not God's chosen us, whether or not God favors us. And I guess I would just, I would use this as an opportunity to slam a door on the enemy. I would use it as an opportunity for you just to simply reaffirm in your heart right now that God chooses you. And if you struggle with that, you don't need to respond to me. You don't need to say it verbally. But just in your heart, if you struggle with that identity, his child, his name, he chose you. Here's what I want you to do, man, right now. I want you to see just that little story of the Father sitting before you and just asking, I choose you. Do you want to choose me? And I want you just to say, yep. Done deal. Let's close the door on the enemy from stealing, from putting a question in your mind, from taking away from you what belongs to you. It's your inheritance. It's your right what God's done in order to give to you his heart, his love. Father, I just pray this heart, the Father's heart, would catch at all of our campuses and through our church like never before. God, I would pray that we would get it because once we get it, we can give it. Lord, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for your grace and mercy in this message. We give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, church.